Hi, I'm Joanna Barron. And I'm Leslie Gray. Welcome to the Love and Dividends podcast, where women get smart about money. We'll share interviews and conversations about optimizing your finances, getting started with investing, and building wealth. And today, we're chatting with Sajal Patel, the founder and CEO of Sajel, a financial consultancy and education platform with a mission to help women create financial independence and security. Previously, Sajal was a business anchor and correspondent for Canada's Business News Network, as well as CNBC Asia. She has over 20 years experience in the financial industry in North America and Asia as a chartered financial analyst charter holder. So we leverage Sejel's expertise today as she tells us about how gender, culture and upbringing impact financial security, about money mind over matter, and her recommendations for women to be in complete financial control, as well as the common financial mistakes she sees people making. Enjoy. We are here, uh, finally, very thrilled to be here with Sajal Patel of Sage L, um, who has a very interesting business focus on women, wellness, wealth building. Um, I was kind of stalking you on the internet this weekend, Sajal, and I just think what you do is so <laughs> cool. So can you tell us a bit about your business? And it's so clearly um, inspired by, I, I think, it's so clearly authentic to you. So I'd love to hear about sort of your personal journey that led you to create this business. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on because um, I stalked you guys as well. <laughs> and and what was exciting about coming on was that I feel like we're so aligned in, in why we want to empower women. Um, so... Let me tell you a little bit about my business, as you mentioned. So I started my financial education and consultancy platform, is what I call it, uh, Sage L, about two and a half years ago. And um, so I've been working in the financial industry for more than 20 years in, in various capacities. I started, you know, I studied finance and accounting I started in the advisory business and then um, actually working with clients, building in-depth financial planning um, for them, like actual reports. Uh, and then I always thought I was going to run money at some point. So I studied investing um, and my career ended up taking me into business, the world of business journalism. So I moved to uh, Asia. I moved to Singapore to be a correspondent for CNBC, for anybody who knows CNBC. So very specialized in um, business and economic news. Um, and the thing that I saw over the 20 years, what became very apparent to me was that this world of managing money which I think is so essential. It's, it's an essential life skill in how to understand, you know, how to create and build and protect our money. This world of though, of managing money was not really accessible. You know, it was this secret club that maybe, um, 10% maybe really understood it. And, um, there, you know, the, and the, the ones that do, there's so much sort of jargon 
around it in almost a, an elitist mentality that I know this and nobody else does. And to me, there were huge risks and downside to that. And it became very apparent to me when we actually had the, the great financial crisis, the global financial crisis in 2008. I was a correspondent for CNBC. I was talking about this all the time. And what I saw was we were never going to be the same. And I remember having this conversation with the managing editor saying, oh, no, we'll recover from this. And I said, you know what? I don't think we ever will. What we'll do is we'll take shortcuts. You know, we'll prop up the economy. We'll do all the things that we need to do. We'll kick the can down the road and it'll be the average person that's going to be left holding the bag. Um, and sure enough, we are seeing this. We are seeing. I was going to say right now, I have yeah, the stock market is soaring like, and the economy is oh. trash. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm like, yeah. I'm freaked out. Um, and it's really made. Yeah. <laughs> it's made for, you know, the wealthy to get wealthier. And we were seeing the wealth gap happening. And I said, and the problem is, so many people are facing this financial security gap, but they don't even realize that they're facing it because they're not educated in this and it's not their fault. You know, this is not taught anywhere. And um, that was really upsetting to me. And I just thought this has to change. You know, when I'm having conversations with men and women, especially women going, Ooh, why do you work at CNBC and how is this exciting to you? And I said, oh my God, this is the most exciting thing I do because it affects all of our lives. It, you know, the economy, politics, everything is tied to money. And when I started digging in even further, um, when I was building the business and, and looking at women as, you know, the target, I was shocked because what I realized was women were so much more vulnerable so much more vulnerable and they didn't even realize it. And there were all these biases and, and um, systemic biases that were keeping women from being even more financially secure. So I really wanted to change this conversation and say, you know what, we got to look at this model and say, how do I make this information more accessible? Um, how do we together start changing the system? Because to me, that's the real culprit. Um, so my mission really is to, you know, engage and inspire women and advocate for their financial wellness so they invest in their best life. And I say invest because it does take an investment. Anything that's important to us actually takes an investment of time and knowledge. So I wanted to build a platform that really supports women in this. And it, it really looks like you have. Uh, we know that your focus is on gender, culture, and upbringing, and how they all impact uh, financial security, money, and relationships. So mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what sort of advice you give to companies and individuals to tackle these financial issues? Yeah. So, you know, I just talked a little bit about gender and why why I'm, I'm focused primarily on women. Um, so one of the messages that I have when it comes to gender is that women and men, A, view money differently and two have very unique and different challenges um and i'm sure you've talked about this before but you know we know as women every time international women's day comes up you know when we talk about the wage gap or the inequality gap you know my message to women is do you really understand what that means 
Um, and most don't, you know, they'll say, well, yeah, we don't get paid the same. I said, it's, it's much bigger than that. It is, um, we're making choices. Sometimes it's a systemic problem where we're not getting paid the same as a man in the same role. And that does exist. Um, often it's because of cultural and social norms that we're not taking, um, that high paying job and we're not raising our hands for the promotion. So that's affecting us. We're taking career breaks. So we have less money, um, less savings and ability to get less pension. Um, and we need it to last longer because we live longer than men. So those are the unique challenges. Um, but on the flip side with women too, uh, we do think more holistically around money. We are more philanthropic. Most women see money as a means to support themselves, their loved ones, and their community. Men typically see money as a lens of power and influence. So you see the difference right there. So these are things that we actually have to speak about. And I, you know, and I talk about this with women, um, but also companies and, and recognizing, you know, companies need to tackle this as well and have different conversations. It's not a one size fit all, especially it's, it's a big message for financial services companies. Um, culture and upbringing is very, very important because each and every one of us has a money personality, whether we realize it or not. Um, all of us have views about money and beliefs around money, and it's usually shaped by the time we're around seven or eight years old. Um, primarily, our parents have the biggest influence on that, right? So we watch how our parents manage money. Did they struggle with it? Do they talk about it? Do they have a healthy position around it? Do they use a lot of credit cards? Are they? Do they buy things because they need approval or need to compare themselves to the Joneses, you know, all of this actually affects us. Culture is an interesting one because, you know, I grew up with Indian parents, you know, Asian background. I lived uh, 11 years in Asia. And what I found, and again, I'm generalizing here, but what I have found is that money is, is talked a lot more openly in those cultures. Um, we typically tend to be a lot more debt averse, you know, there's totally. a lot more I actually, I have a close Indian yeah. girlfriend and she told me when I was 30 and it blew my mind, but her Indian dad always said, you have to spend less than you make and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, I'd never heard that. <laughs> that's yeah. Like step one. Oh my God. And you see, yeah. That was oh, real into my head. I mean, yeah. I can only speak from wasp culture, but in that culture, it's like, do not talk about money. What a taboo thing yeah. to bring up. Don't say exactly. it. Just, but like, let everyone know you're quite wealthy because that's an important status thing to have. But please <laughs> never mention how even or if why you're not, or even anything if you're around it. Dead. Especially if you're not. Yeah. Actually, especially if you're not. <laughs> Hide it yeah. with a deep amount of shame. So it can never be talked about. <laughs> anyway, sorry, but keep going. I'm yeah. loving this. Yes. No. And that's exactly it. And I didn't even realize that because I thought my upbringing was quite normal. You know, we talked about money all the time. I knew exactly what my parents made by the time I was seven. I understood how they were making decisions. I knew they were sending money back to India for their family. 
Um, I knew how they were making choices. Um, out of necessity, I think because, you know, English wasn't their first language. Um, it wasn't really a problem, but when they did start, you know, buying insurance and getting investment, it was funny that they dragged my brother and I into it. They're like, how do, what does this mean? And I'm, I'm like 14 years old <laughs> trying to figure this out, but that's how we learned together. And what I realized is exactly what you said, that my Canadian sort of Caucasian friends, they didn't have that upbringing. They're like, wow, we don't, we don't talk about money at all. Um, and it's, it's a real shame because it is, it's just, as we've talked about, it's just so important to understand this. Yeah. So that leads into the next thing I wanted to pick your brain about. It kind mm -hmm. of, you touched on it, but, um, you teach that the first step is mind over matter. Money is mind over matter. And yeah. this probably has to do with your wellness focus, but apart from upbringing, apart from, because you teach people who may have had, you know, the worst money upbringing, and they are hopefully not beyond repair. So what, in which way mm -hmm. is, is a mindset going to be fundamental? Oh, mindset is, I always say, um, mindset is 80%. You know, I can teach the literacy part. Here's how you invest. Here's how you, you know, the best way to pay the credit card debt down whatever that may be, but unless you fundamentally understand your behaviors and where they are coming from and the story that you are telling yourself that is stopping you, um, the literacy part is a waste. You know, um, you use the, you know, I use the analogy around exercise, right? Everyone pretty much knows how to lose 10 pounds, you know, they all, everyone may have a different theory on how to do it, but generally it's going to be exercise more and, and diet or whatever else. But how many people are actually successful in losing that weight and sustaining it? That's behavior. And so money has to take that same approach. You have more challenges around it because we don't even like talking about it, <laughs> let alone. And the information is not, you know, as accessible. So. I always start with the mindset. Anytime I run workshops for women, um, you know, which is now moved online to my Strictly Money courses, the behavior part is fundamental. And I tackle it in one of the courses, but it's actually throughout everything I teach is we always go back to the mindset um, and how, what are the challenges that they're going to face when they're approaching this and going, ooh, I don't know if I can do this or this is too much work or I don't have the ability, you know, so and that's, that's behavior is everything. So, and so, so is the issue that people will self-sabotage sort of, so it'll be like, I know that I have to do these things. I know I have to open up an investment yeah. account, but because all I've ever seen is people being in debt, people being broke. I just like, there's something in me. I guess it's similar to the exercise analogy where it's just like you get caught in this loop of self-sabotage. So how do you break yeah. it? I think it's just getting people to understand. It's breaking the shame, the stigma cycle, I, I would say, number one, right? Um, the feedback that I'm constantly getting, and I'm talking about people who are actually in the financial industry. This is like, I work with 
every socioeconomic background, you know, um, and cultures. So they are some of the women I work with are incredibly successful. Uh, and they'll tell me, you know what? I feel really embarrassed that I don't know this stuff. Um, and I haven't done anything. I said, well, the first thing is because you don't know the stuff. And, and my thing is to comfort them and saying, where would you have learned this stuff? Like that is not people's fault that they don't know. You know, that's why I'm trying to make this information a lot more accessible. And I think when we have that open conversation and break down the shame and stigma and then build them up and saying, because here's the thing I know is everybody is capable of learning this. I've taught it to beginners, to intermediate people. Um, and I see the results, you know, and they see the results. So it can be taught. We're all very resourceful people. Um, so giving them that kind of confidence and saying it can be taught and then actually showing them the roadmap of how to do it because people don't have time, you know, um, they want to know exactly how to apply. How do I think through this and apply it to my own life? And that's what my courses do. That's how I teach. I don't know how to teach any other way. Um, then they're, they're, they make progress and they start seeing it. And obviously, um, your course has a number of steps and a large roadmap, but do you have anything just for our listeners who feel a bit overwhelmed slash maybe feel a bit empowered by this discussion? to start somewhere like what would your first sort of step be for someone listening who says everything you're describing that's exactly me but maybe also feels empowered mm -hmm. like i am smart enough to figure this out obviously a course is a great first step but any yeah. sort of practical tips uh to get them started yeah i think you know i mean start reading start somewhere yeah, there's a lot of information. Obviously, I can say go to my website, but there's a lot of other information out there. Um, so I would just say start somewhere and start reading, taking an interest in this. Um, and then and then writing down, you know, what it is that you want to achieve. I mean, I always say Google is our best friend. <laughs> we have so much resource, so many resources out there that we, we wouldn't have had 15 years ago. Uh, so I would definitely start there. But going back to the mindset, you know, I think what's really important and I think why so many people are not willing to do it is in the back of their mind is that fear, you know, that they're not going to be able to figure this out or it's just too overwhelming. And my message is it, it's not. It doesn't need to be. It feels like that, but it, it really isn't. Um. And the other thing is, you know, my, my biggest message is it's, it's just too important to ignore. Um, you know, I always tell people like, no one will care about your financial situation and your financial security more than you. No one, yeah. not even your parents, um, or advisor or kids or partner. Because when it comes down to it, and if they are struggling, they're going to look out for them. You know, it's just, it's just how it works. And, and no, nor should they, like, we all have to take personal accountability and responsibility for our own financial situation. But when we do, wow, right. That's when we feel incredibly empowered. Um, 
and we can give back. You know, when we're taking care of ourselves, that's when we can take care of our kids and family and community. But it has to start with our own personal responsibility. And do you have any, not to put you on the spot, but any books or websites besides, of course, Sagel um, that were sort of game changers for you or that you would direct people to? Yeah. So my um, my favorite book, and I read it when I was a teenager, was The Wealthy Barber. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. that book. It's so good. Yeah, I love it. Right? It's like the classic book by David Chilton. Um you know, the whole idea around pay yourself first, because that has been my philosophy since I was a teenager. Um, and for those who don't know that, it's paying yourself first, putting money aside for your most important goals before paying somebody else. Because what people typically tend to do is they they spend and then they save whatever's left. And I teach them. It's the other way. You, you say first towards your goals, whatever that may be, 10, 15% of, of your monthly income, and then spend the rest guilt-free. Then you don't have to worry about it. You can do whatever you want, but prioritize your most important goals first. So I would say David Chilton's um, Wealthy Barber is a great starting point um, obviously, you know, I read a lot of, you know, Warren Buffett's books, it gets Buffettology, um, but that's later, like that's when you really want to get into sort of investing in the psychology around it. Uh, another one that I recently read, uh, last year was Beat the Bank around fees and, and just how banks work. Again, when you're getting into the investing part, that's a great book as well by Larry Bates. Interesting. Yeah, the banks have a really good uh, racket going on. They hold all our money, they make interest on it, they invest it, and then yeah. they charge us for having it. Yeah, it's good to have yeah. it. charge us on our own money. Yeah. Um, so besides what you just mentioned about the importance of paying yourself first, um, which is, mm -hmm. I totally agree, fundamental, um, what are the most common sort of missteps that you see even amongst people who are earnestly trying to get themselves on a good track? What do you see as the most common mistakes? Oh, well, I say a couple of them, but I'd say by far the biggest mistake is sort of what I just mentioned, um, thinking that there's some magic wand that's going to fix their financial issues. <laughs> you know, that something or someone will rescue them if they get into trouble. Um, we typically just go along, you know, I would say, and, and it's human behavior that we just kind of trot along um, because things work until they don't work. And, you know, COVID is a great example of that. People were like, okay, well, I'm going to sort of live paycheck to paycheck. And what's an emergency fund? Why do I need that? And then boom, <laughs> you know, the world kind of stops and we're all staying home and people are laid off and, and it had nothing to, that wasn't anybody's fault. Right. Um, it was certainly out of our, out of our control, but that's the kind of thing that does happen. So that's, I would say is the biggest mistake is that thinking that, you know, someone else is going to fix it when we need to take that financial accountability. Um, 
The second mistake that I find people make is, uh, and especially women, is this perfection mentality. You know, they feel like, well, I have to know everything. I have to be this financial superstar to be financially well. And I would say that's not true. You know, um, there's a thinking that, well, the more I know, the more financially successful I'm going to be. Um, again, not true. <laughs> you know, it really comes down to basic things like um, basic skills around debt, basic skills around saving. And even the investing part, building wealth, is actually a lot simpler than most women think. So, um, in fact, I'd say what tends to happen is the more you know or the more false confidence sometimes you build and um i'm not to pick on men but men you know men typically are overconfident when it comes to investing and they think well i can beat the market and i can do this and and I, and my message is you can't you know the smartest people in the room can't i mean this is stuff i studied for 10 years um there's just too many unknowns so which makes it a lot more easier. Money wins. Were you able to think of a uh, money win this week um, or in general oh, that you want to share with our listeners? No, it can be any time in your life. For Joanna and I, we do a weekly podcast, so we have to come up with a new one every week. But for you, oh, it can be okay. any time. <laughs> it's more like when my money lessons, I guess. Like my, oh. like my money win would be, you know, I've never, um, I've never like paid had credit card debt <laughs> oh my god i don't what? know that's explain win. yourself yes that's a big win yeah. explain more about uh, that i just i just yeah spend beneath my means always <laughs> so do you um, you but you use credit cards when I was what's that but you use credit cards yeah yeah you just always pay them in yeah. full always always like that's been 30 years now 20 some years yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Cause that's okay, some high there interest. Might be an time where I just forgot. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I forgot it was due, but no, I never, I never put anything on there that I don't pay off. So my money win would be it's inspired by where I am with Joanna. As you mentioned, it looks like I'm in a sauna, but I'm actually <laughs> in the cabin of my parents' cottage on Lake of Bays. And right near where I'm sitting, I'm going to try to turn this camera so Joanna can see, there is a fireplace and above it is a beautiful piece of art made right here in Ontario by a Canadian designer, that's it, um, called Russo Designs. Ooh. They're based out of Port Hope and what they do is make in black matte stone um, outlines of various beautiful Ontario lakes, including the one I'm on, Lake of Bays. Um, they're handcrafted. They're really stunning. The designer's a very um, cool Toronto person. And so Russo Designs, that's my money win. That piece that I showed you, jo Joanna, of the lake is something my brothers and I got for my dad for a big birthday he had this year. I won't say his age on the podcast, but it was a, it was a big one. And nice. um, 
Yeah, and I just think they're really beautiful, handmade, uh, classic Ontario pieces, classic Canadian pieces, Russo design. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. If you got value from this podcast, please share it with another woman who could benefit from the information that we shared. And please consider rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps with new podcasts. If you have questions about finances and investing, have suggestions for future topics or guests, please let us know. You can shoot us a DM on Instagram, love and dividends, or you can send us an email at hello at loveanddividends.com. With love and dividends.